Um, we're, taught, we're, in a, we're learning, we're in a course called Renewing the Mind, a course that I've taught a num- many times in a school of ministry that we had uh, over about a course of about 15 years, about 10 years actually. And uh, it's one of the most important courses that I taught because uh, it, it gets down to the area where we really live. And the, in the church, you don't hear a whole lot about, about the mind. Uh, and in, in charismatic Pentecostal services, uh, cir- circles, it's almost the opposite. It's almost as if we believe that being led by the Spirit means we throw the mind out and, and we walk around mindless. And unfortunately, there are too many Pentecostal and charismatics that are doing that. They're walking around mindless, uh, thinking they're being led by the Spirit, and in many cases, make unwise decisions. But the Bible says a whole lot about the mind, and we're not going to take the time to go back over that other than this, our key scripture here is Romans 12, verse 2. So if you've got that, if you can put it up. And it talks about the mind. It talks about that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Chapter, verse 1 says that we are, we, are to be, we are to make our bodies a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable unto God. That talks about our body, what we're supposed to do with our body. But with our mind, it says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that word transformed means to be changed. It says we're not to allow the pressures of this world, we're not to allow them to press in on us and not be conformed by this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we looked at, we went through a series of scriptures in Ephesians 1 and in several other places where it talks about the things that God has done for us. And there are many things that God has done for us, and we didn't go through them all. And we listed them on one side and saw that this is the side of what God's Word says He has done for us. And then we asked the question, how many of those are actually a reality in our life? Are we truly enjoying it? Are we walking in the peace of God? Just the fruit of the Spirit, joy. How many of you really live in a life filled with joy? Not happiness. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is based on your circumstances. Joy is an inner state of the heart and a state of the mind. And the part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy, just overflowing joy that becomes contagious. Peace. All these things are part of the package that God put in you when you came to Christ because God deposited in you His divine nature, Peter says. And the question is, how much of God's divine nature, how much of God's power, the Bible talks about we've been filled with the power of God, how much of that is actually experiencing in our life? Or are we learning to live a life in church where we get excited and say, praise God, hallelujah, on the righteousness of God in Christ, and then we've learned to live a very different life out there in the quote-unquote real world. What the Bible's teaching us is that all those things that God says in here are ours become a reality on the outside through the process of renewing our mind. And the word transformed in Romans 12.2 is literally a Greek word which means to take what is already on the inside and bring it to the outside because it's only when it comes to the outside that it can affect the lives of other people around us and we're in a battle. We're going to talk more about that in a few weeks. We're in a battle where Satan couldn't stop you from getting saved. He couldn't stop God from putting his nature on the inside. So the next fallback position for him is to try to keep so much pressure on you that what's on the inside never shows up on the outside so it doesn't affect anybody else. In fact, it doesn't even really affect you. You don't enjoy your life. You're not experiencing victory in your life. Oh yeah, we'll get to heaven, but there's more than getting to heaven that's involved in the kingdom of God because Jesus said, I've come to bring the kingdom of God here. It's the kingdom of God that's needed in this dirty, rotten world right now to bring light and truth and hope into the world. And that's one of the reasons why we're still here, why the church 
is still here. So we've been talking about this process of taking what's on the inside and bringing it to the outside and that's the process of transformation or transforming and Romans 12 2 says that process happens by renewing our mind. So what we're going to learn in this course is how to renew our mind. We're going to learn some specific skills that we can learn if we'll, if we'll practice them and develop them that it will teach you, it will accomplish that process in your life. But before we can renew the mind, we have to gain some understanding of it. And so we're looking at, last week we began to look at locating the mind. And we joke about, you know, it'd be nice to be able to find my mind sometimes. But it's, it's, a, it's only partly in jest. Because it's important to understand why God gave you a mind. He gave you a mind for a purpose. And if we don't understand that purpose, we will often misuse our mind. And what we'll be, see probably next week is that's exactly what Satan did in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. He got them to use their mind for a purpose for which God not, did not intend it. So to do that, we looked last week and we saw that there are two, two realms of existence. There's a material realm and then there's a spiritual realm. See if I can find that in here somewhere. There we go. Well, let's see if we can go back. Oh, that's the one. Okay. What we looked at is a spirit realm and a material realm. They're the only two realms the Bible talks about. The spirit realm is the realm where God exists, God lives. It's a realm that by definition you cannot detect with your senses. Angels are in that spirit realm. And you, angels are in this room right now, but you can't see them, you can't hear them, you can't touch them, you can't taste them, or what's the other one? Whatever it is. Feel them, thank you. you the, even though they're in this room right now, why? Because they're not of the realm you and I are used to functioning in. You and I, the realm that you and I are most used to, spend most of our time aware of, most of our time thinking about, most of our time spending our effort on, is the physical realm, the material realm. That's the realm God created in the beginning when it says in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens that he's talking about there is not where God resides, it's the spiritual atmosphere around this earth. And so God created the heavens and the earth. The earth is, a, is, the, is the realm of existence that your five senses can detect. So the chair you're sitting in is of what realm? It's the material realm. The, 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 the Bible that you're holding in your lap, that's of the material realm. The, the clothes that are on you are of the material realm. This pulpit is of the material realm because I can feel it. You can hear it. And if you wanted to, you could taste it. It wouldn't taste very good. But it's of this natural material realm. Well, now bring this over to understanding ourselves. There's two main parts of you. There's your, phys there's your physical body, and that is, comes of the material realm. We're going to look at that in a minute. And then there's the inner man, the real you, and that's your spirit, and that comes from the spirit realm. So in, the, in you, basically what comprises you comes from two different realms of existence. Your spirit man comes from the realm that God lives in, and it is of that spiritual realm. The your, your, your body comes from this physical material realm. In fact, let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 2. Now, before you go there, I want to quote you something. Um, the, here's the issue. These two realms cannot make contact with each other 
without some kind of supernatural intervention. So you can swing your arm all you want and you may be cutting right through your guardian angel and he could come up and just kind of push at you, but without something supernatural happening, in the ordinary course of affairs, they cannot make contact with each other. In the natural realm, one of the principles of physics is two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. That's called a car accident. <laughs> a car accident is when two cars try to occupy the same space at the same time, and the result is damage to both of them in most cases. But a, a, a being from one realm, of the, the natural realm of existence, and a being from the spirit realm of existence can and do occupy the same space at the same time. You're living proof of it. Because there's a spirit man living inside of you, living inside of your natural man, your human body. So they occupy two, two, spa- two beings are occupying the same space in you at the same time. And the reason you don't notice any difference is because they're from two different realms of existence. And so that's exciting. But let's talk about this spirit realm for some things about the spirit realm. Because we kind of skipped over those last night. I got caught up, last time I got caught up in the slides. So they cannot contact each other without some supernatural or unusual intervention. The material realm was created out of the spirit realm. Hebrews 11.2 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that what is visible, that's the natural realm, was not made out of things that are visible. So the natural realm came, came out of the spirit realm. It came out of God. God spoke it into existence, and even the provision that God has for you, first of all, exists in the spirit realm, and then your faith draws it into the natural realm. But when you believe the Word of God, it's not when your healing came into existence. When you believe for that provision or that thing, it's not when it came into existence. It already existed in the mind and heart of God. Your faith just allows it to come into this natural realm, which is where you needed it. You needed the healing in your natural body. And so, I just want you to understand that because I want you to get a sense of how real this spirit realm is, how powerful this spirit realm is, and it is eternal. It never changes, it never ends, whereas this natural material realm is in the constant process of decay. It's under a curse. Romans 8 talks about that curse. That curse was announced in Genesis chapter 3, and this earth, Romans 8 talks about it's groaning. It's groaning, waiting for the redemption of the, of the body of Christ until we come into our fullness of our spiritual body, and Christ comes in and redoes this whole thing. And the earth until that time is groaning under a curse, and that's what all causes all these storms and earthquakes and things like that. It's aching under the pressure of, of sin and the weight of that curse. But the spirit realm is not under that. And you are a spirit being. And this is what this talks about. There are two parts to you. There are two parts to you. The main two parts. There's three. We're going to get into the third one tonight. So your spirit man has... Your spirit man comes from the spirit realm. In fact, now we can go to Genesis chapter... Genesis chapter 2. That shouldn't be too hard to find. Verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the earth. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the earth. The Lord God formed man. He formed man. 
that's referring to his body. And the word form there in Hebrew, actually, and I didn't study Hebrew, but from what I understand, means it's like a potter reaching down into the clump of clay and grabbing a, a hunk of it and molding it together by hard hand pressing it. So it literally means to form. So our bodies were formed out of the dust of the ground, the material of the ground, the material of this earth. And that's why it says, in the end, it returns to dust. It just decays back into the material from which it came. And by the way, it's just still dust today. It's still dirt today. That's why you've got to keep cleaning it up. And then God breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. So God took this pile of dirt formed into the body of a man and God, this is how I pictured, I'm not saying this is how it happened. I picture that God held them up under the, under, the, under the armpits. And God went out of His own lungs, His own life, His own spirit, God went and breathed into His nostrils the breath, God's own breath, God's own spirit. He made Him alive with God's own life. The only creature God made that way. Everything else God formed. Man is the only being God took his life and breathed it into him to become a living soul, it actually means. Alright. Now having seen that, let's talk about these two realms that are in you. So you obviously are a body. And your body comes from the, is flesh, and your flesh comes from this natural material realm. That's why you can touch it, you can smell it, you can taste it, and if you can hear it. So your five senses, and here's the reality of most of our lives. Most of our life we spend with our five senses actively scanning what's going on with this body. We're aware that we're tired, we're aware that our stomach's growling, we're aware we may have a headache, we're aware we're, you know, we're aware of this and that, we're aware it's hot. Some of you right now think it's hot in here, some of you think it's cold in here, but you're aware of some sense of temperature, you're aware of whether you're comfortable or uncomfortable, your sensory organs are, are in your mind is constantly scanning you, to, and so which means your mind most of the time is spending all its effort conscious of which realm? The material realm that natural material realm, which is your body or your flesh. Now your body is the container for your spirit. Some people refer it as your earth suit. You cannot exist in this realm, in this natural realm, without one of these earth suits, without a body. Spirit beings cannot function in this realm without some kind of physical body because they can't touch things and they can't maneuver them absent some supernatural event, which I mentioned last week, which is why when Jesus was going to cast the, 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 the legion of demons out of the madman of Gadara, the lead demon pled with Jesus, don't just lend us out into the waterless places, send us into those pigs, because they had to occupy some kind of body in order to have some influence. And what we're going to see probably next week is this is very important to understand because you and I are involved in a, in a, in a supernatural battle to, to bring influence into this world. God has to use your body 
to influence in this world and Satan wants to use your body to influence in this world because God cannot do things in this world unless he works through a body. Again, God can always do supernatural things but that means it's above what's normal and what's natural. But in the normal course of things, God can't do something unless He physically works through people. I know He can do miracles, but that's supernatural. That's why when, an angel, when God wanted to bring the gospel to Cornelius, He did all kinds of supernatural things. Cornelius had an angel speak to him and said, go send to Peter, who's in Joppa, and he'll come and tell you words of life. And Peter had a vision come down from heaven to show him and get his attention that God wants to do something new here, and then an angel has to speak to him and tell him to go. So you have all the supernatural activity, but what had to happen, God had to have a man go from Joppa to Caesarea, or whichever way it was, and to speak words. God couldn't just appear to him and just... God had to use a man who had a body to communicate to another man who had a body. A man who had a voice and a man who had an ear. And God still needs his body today to do the same thing. So I want you to understand that. We'll go over more of that again next week. And, and so it's the source of our sensory information is our body. It's also what gets us in trouble. This is why we'll learn we've got to keep the body under. And it's temporary. Now here's the problem. Because the spirit realm cannot contact the natural realm and your spirit is of that spirit realm and because your body is of the material realm and it cannot contact the spirit realm, there's a communication problem, which is where most of us live. We've got God living on the inside of us if you're born again. You've got the wisdom of God, you've got the spirit of God, you've got, we'll learn, you've got a, God designed in you a perfect communication system. Perfect, because God doesn't do things that aren't perfect. And we all, may, most of us, wander around many times wondering for, for looking for the wisdom of God. I need to hear God's voice, and yet it's in there. Why are we not hearing? But here's a basic problem, because your body can't hear God speak unless God does something supernatural. So God obviously has an answer to this, and that's the third part. Here's the problem. Your spirit tries to speak to your body, but it can't because they can't communicate with each other. And your body tries to speak to your spirit or listen to your spirit, and it can't because they can't talk to each other normally. So what God has done is God has come up with a third part of you. And that's your soul. We talked last week out of 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, 23. We looked at there. May God sanctify you wholly, completely. Your spirit your soul, and your body. And we're going to look, we may get to it tonight, we may not, that just as God is made of three parts, you're made of three parts. We're made in His image. God is a Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are a spirit, a soul, and a being. You're actually, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and they live in your body. But what we're going to learn is the soul is so important because the soul is the bridge that makes up this gap. So your soul is designed so it can communicate and hear and talk to your spirit. But your soul can also communicate and talk to your body. So the soul, your soul, is the bridge between your, the spirit realm in you and the body in which it lives. 
And the reason this is important, because what we're going to find out is your mind is a part of your soul. But right now you're understanding that the soul, <laughs> the soul's sole purpose is to provide a bridge between the real you, which is your spirit, and the body, which is just an instrument. It's like the car, my car is simply a device to get me home tonight, tonight, got me here. It's something that I can get around in. Your body is nothing more than a device to get you around in and to function in, and yet we spend so much time worrying about it, taking care of it, almost worshiping it to some point. And I got news for you, you're going to lay it down someday. Because you can't get into heaven with that body. And those of you that aren't going to heaven, you won't get into hell with it either. <laughs> it stays here. It's just a temporary earth suit. And yes, we need to take care of it. Yes, we need to feed it correctly. Yes, we need to exercise it. Because it's the temple of the Holy Ghost. But it's temporary. It's temporary. So don't get too in love with it. Don't get too in love with it, because when the rapture comes, you're going to have to leave it here. And if you get too in love with it, you may want to hang on to it and miss the rapture. So get used to now letting go of it. Recognize it for what it is. It's just your means of transportation. It's a means by which we can communicate with each other. It's a very practical and useful thing to have, but that's really all it is. So don't worship it. Don't spend hours in front of the mirror just saying, oh, how good it is. And how t- or, or on the other hand, how terrible it is. It's, do you do that with your car? Well, maybe you do. <laughs> you shouldn't. It's just a means of transportation. It's a, it's a practical vehicle for you that you need in this realm. Well, who you really are, what you really need to spend your time developing and spend your time working on is your real man on the inside, your spirit man. So many Christians, their spirit man's just starving. While well, you see all these muscle people, you know, they <laughs> go to the gym, you know, and it's like, you know, and they just, they, 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 and it's wonderful to be healthy, but they're investing hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And in many, many cases, not all, but in many cases, their whole identity is in their body. I got news for them. <laughs> even if you keep it in that shape until you're 60 years old there's going to come a day it's not going to be in that shape anymore and they invest all their life and time and energy in something that's a hand's breath starving their spirit man which is eternal starving our spirit man which is eternal okay now so the soul is the bridge between the spirit realm that's on the inside of you and your body. The spirit realm can only express itself in the material realm through a body. And God wants to express His will through us. Romans 12, 2, the very end of it says that we be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We talked about this in the beginning. So that we may prove what is the good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. So the, the purpose for, for your being transformed the purpose, and we looked in Ephesians chapter 2, and we saw that, that, that the church is going to be used to demonstrate something in the spirit realm of God. And we, you and I, are the witnesses, the testimony of that. And the way, in order for that to happen, this, what God's done on the inside of us, has to begin to come to the outside so that we may prove, establish, and declare 
out into this world what God's like. So God can't demonstrate what He's like, again, obviously through some supernatural thing God can. But in the ordinary course of God's working, His ordinary plan, God's plan is to demonstrate His will and what He's like through you and me. And that happens only in this process of being transformed, and the transforming has happens only as we renew our mind. In the same way, as I mentioned, Satan wants to express his will through us. So our spirit, this is important to understand, our spirit, your, your real you, can only truly express ourselves to one another by the vehicle of our body, just such as I'm doing now. Here's what happens in the process of preaching. I spend time studying and praying, and as I'm, as I'm preaching to you, as I'm teaching you, I'm listening on the inside of me. I'm looking for the promptings of the Holy Spirit for which direction to go. And then I take what comes up inside of me, and with my body, I speak it out. But my body can't speak out anything but my mind doesn't grasp. This is why when you speak in tongues, your mind gets so upset, because it bypasses your mind. It goes from your spirit to your mouth, and your mind will freak out, because it's not involved in the process. And so, your, 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 your body is, your spirit, in order to speak out, your mind has to interpret what your spirit's getting, and form words, because your spirit does not speak in words normally. Your spirit speaks in impressions, and we'll, we'll look at that later on. Your spirit speaks in impressions, and then your mind has to take those impressions and convert them into words. You ever have a vivid dream? You just wake up and your heart's pumping, or you may be sweating. All over in church, you perspire in church, you sweat out there. You're okay. You know, and you're just, it's so vivid. And then the moment you go to tell somebody what it's like, it goes, fades away. Why? Because your mind is now trying to put words to something that you had an impression of. And that's, in the spirit, your spirit gets an impression of something, and then your mind has to be involved to find words, so that because your tongue can't speak impressions, it speaks in words. Because if you speak to impressions, nobody's going to understand what you're talking about. So, that's the process. All right. Now, so the bridge is between your spirit and your body. Now we're going to talk about these three parts, and especially focus on one of them. This is a lot up there, but I'll kind of go through it. These are the basic three parts of you. Your spirit, and on your right, the body, and the middle is your soul. On the spirit we talked about, your spirit comes from God's realm, the spirit realm. It's eternal. It is strong because it has the life of God. It's God living in you. God and all the kingdom of God living in you in your spirit, and they dwell on the right-hand side in your body. It's the material realm. It's temporary. It's weak. It's your flesh. But we're going to focus on that middle part of you, the soul. Now there's a question mark in the beginning because it doesn't fit into either one of the two realms. But your soul is made up of those three parts. Your mind, which is what this course is about, your will, and your emotions. All of those make up your soul. And a good way to describe your soul or identify it, it's your personality. It's your personality. Okay. At, the, uh, at our, we have a staff devotion every Wednesday morning. And there was a discussion this morning about some scriptures and about uh, different gifts that God puts inside of us. And Romans, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the different administra- ministrations or ministries of gifts. 
And that word actually in Greek means different administrations. And what it means is the same gift can actually be acted out differently in different people because different people have different personalities. So we have on staff here a number of different pastors, and, 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 and we all have the teaching gift to some degree, but it's going to come out differently from each one of us because it comes out through a personality. And so the gifting comes out through your personality, and that's your soul's involvement. But your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your soul is the conscious part of you, your personality. Now let's talk about your emotions. Those are the part that we're the most familiar with. Uh, but it's important to talk about them. They're your, they're your feelings. It can be anger. It can be fear. It can be discouragement. We're, we're very much, in most cases, very much aware of our emotions. And some people have the idea that because we're Christians and because God's in us, we shouldn't have emotions. And God's the one that created emotions and gave them to us. But the problem comes, as it usually does, when we take something God's given us and we use it for a different purpose, or it gets out of control. I look at emotions this way. They are to our soul what your taste buds are to your body. Now, in order to live and for our body to, to thrive, we have to eat. And God could have just made us with an appetite to eat, but He also gave us taste buds because God wants us to enjoy what we eat. And, and because if you enjoy something, you're going to eat it. You're going to be more likely to eat it, but not just eat it. God, God's, God wants us to enjoy our life. He, he created the Garden of Eden and told them to go in there and enjoy it. He told them to eat whatever they wanted, just one tree they couldn't eat, but go eat, enjoy it. Just go have a good time and eat it. God wants us to even enjoy eating with limitations. The problem comes when instead of eating just to enjoy it, we eat it to satisfy some need other than survival. We eat for comfort. We eat for reassurance. We eat to fill some other role as when it begins to get out of balance. So our taste buds have been given to us so that we can enjoy the experience and participate in the experience of eating. They've also been given to us so that if we go into the back of the refrigerator and pull out that wrapper from the restaurant that we don't quite remember when it was, and we decide to take a bite out of that sandwich and go, ah, our taste buds have just warned us that's not safe to eat. So our taste buds not only are given to us to enjoy the process that we need to in order to live, but they've also been given to us as a signal that something's wrong or even a signal that something's right. We were away for a little while a couple of weeks ago and we came back and there was some milk left in the refrigerator. And, and so, you know, well, is it still any good or not? So the way we told is we open it and you know, give it the smell test. So my, our senses are telling you, you know what, it smells okay. And then I tasted some and it tastes okay. So our senses were a way of deciding whether this was okay or not. Your emotions are the same thing. Our emotions are to enjoy life and experience life, but not to control our life. Nowhere are we to be led by our emotions. We're to be led by the Spirit. But our emotions are also sometimes a sign something's wrong, something's off. I've learned enough about myself to know that I get, if I get touchy about something, if I get really angry about something, that's a sign to me something's wrong inside. 
Now, there's, some, there's a righteous anger, but it's a very different feeling. I can tell when I'm irritated about something. And that's a sign for me to start checking inside and saying, all right, God, what's wrong? Now, it may not be me. It may be that there's some reason to be irritated or upset at something, but it's a signal that something's off. It's like the lights on your dashboard. Those it used to be idiot lights. Now they got all kinds of other voices will talk to you and things like that are happening. It's like the engine light comes on. I knew people when the engine light come on, they would take masking tape and put it over the engine light so they wouldn't have to see it anymore. Your emotions are to tell you something's off. So if you're finding yourself angry all the time or really angry, that's a warning sign that there's something in the back of your refrigerator that's not right. You need to go check it out and find out why are you so upset because the natural state for a Christian should be peace. And we talked a little bit about that at the beginning. If you're not at peace... Now, there can be seasons or times when things are disruptive, but I mean, if your natural state of heart, of mind, is not at peace, that's a sign that something in your refrigerator needs to be checked out. Something inside of you is off. Something's out of whack. So our emotions provide a very important role, not only to enjoy life, but also to give us some sense of what's going on inside. And so you don't, to be a Christian doesn't mean you sit on your emotions. To walk in faith does not mean that you don't, I had somebody ask me the other day, you know, well, I'm dealing with these emotions, which are a natural part of what this person was going through, and they said, does that mean I'm not in faith because I'm having these emotions? No, it means you're real. Because people have taken faith and used it to to, to, to believe that, that emotions are wrong. We shouldn't have any emotions. God has emotions. He got ticked off at Israel. Now, he didn't lose control, but God has emotions. The Spirit of God has has feelings. He can be grieved. There's things that bring joy to God's heart. There there, there are things that, that grieve his heart. So God has emotions. Why would he not make us with emotions? Here's the key. It's when your emotions control you. It's when you decide things based on how you feel. And how you feel may have to be simply what you ate. What you eat can affect the old line from uh, the Christmas Carol, Dickens' story, The Christmas Carol. When he sees the ghost, he says, you may just be a piece of undigested cheese. You know, it may be something I ate that's causing this to happen. And so what you eat, how well you slept... Have you ever had the experience of going, we'll talk a little more about this, going to bed just, oh God, it's, oh, what a, oh, I love you. You're just, oh, everything's just so great. You just go to sleep. And you wake up in the morning. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm saved. I didn't, I, I didn't do anything wrong as far as I know while I was asleep. What happened? But we'll learn later, your emotions are tied to your thoughts. You can change your feelings by changing what you think. But your emotions are an important part of your soul. So, uh, uh, you know, enjoy your emotions, just don't let them rule you or control you. Okay. Then the second part of your, of, we're talking about your soul, the three parts of your soul, is your will. That's the most important part of your soul, and we'll learn why probably next week. The, the will is the capacity that God gave us 
to decide. When it says God made us in His image, I don't know if God has arms and legs and hair. I don't know. I kind of imagine that He does. I don't know. But I really believe that the part of us that God really made like Him that's different than any other thing God created was the will. The power to decide for ourselves yes or no. I remember having a law partner when I worked in Tulsa for a few years. Knew as a Christian, knew as studying for the ministry. I was sitting in his office one day. He says, John, I got a question. If God really made us, and he made that first man, Adam, and he gave him the ability, the will, to obey or disobey, why would he do that knowing that the man was going to disobey him in the next chapter? And I said, well, in order to understand that, you've got to understand what God created the man for. He didn't create the man for the purpose of him being obedient. Now listen carefully. Because everything else that God makes obeys Him. All of creation instantly obeys God. When Jesus said to the storm, peace be still, it didn't argue with Him. It didn't go pray about it. It didn't go fast for three days. It stopped when He said, be still. The same way when He said, let there be, it wasn't any debate about it either. It just happened. Because all of creation is ultimately under God's absolute authority. The only thing God made that has the power to say no is you and me. We're the only thing God made that He gave a will to that could be autonomous, act on its own, and the power to say yes or no. And He looked at me and says, well, why would God do that? I said, because if our yes to God was because we had no choice, it wouldn't mean anything. If your children always did what you, if, you know, every day they got up and said, his name was George, George, I love you. Oh, I love you. You're the greatest father in the world. Now that's what I'm supposed to say, isn't it, Dad? That wouldn't mean anything to you. Dad, I love you, because I'm supposed to tell you that I love you. I'm perfectly obedient, so I tell you that I love you. That wouldn't mean anything, would it? Because it wasn't something they freely gave. And in order to have the ability for us to freely love God, to freely obey God, God had to take the risk that we could freely say no. In fact, He knew we were going to say no, which is why He already had the plan to redeem us back from the no in place to announce it. So the will is the part of you that decides everything else. It determines what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. You can, be, you can want to do all kinds of things. And we've all had that experience, I'm sure. We've come to church, we've heard a message, Ah, Lord, I surrender all. I the tears are flowing down. Because we sincerely want to. We sincerely mean, I want to surrender all. And we walk out the door, and somebody looks at us the wrong way, and we get angry at them, even though God's Word says to love them, and we don't want to do that, so I don't do it. I want to surrender all, but somehow I don't because I still want to surrender all when I want to. I'll surrender it, but I still have the final say. Because the hardest thing to surrender, you can surrender your body, but is this will. Because that's the part that rebelled. And that's the hardest part, and it's in your soul. It's not in your spirit, it's in your soul. Your will is the part of you that determines where you will go and what you will do.
I had a, a, a in, in high school, in the last two years of high school, um, I was in a, in a school where uh, instead of a, a PE, we had to have sports. And, and I loved basketball at the time. And, and the problem was I loved basketball, but I wasn't tall enough, fast enough, or good enough to play on the team. So I was either going to sit on the bench the whole season, or I could participate, and so I became the manager of the team. Now, in ba- baseball, the manager is the boss. In basketball, the manager is the guy that picks up the towels. And the coach is the boss. So I was the best manager of the team, which means I handed out the clean towels and picked up the dirty towels. And, you know, and I, enjoy, I mind, didn't mind doing it because I was at least part of the team. But that meant I was in on the practices. And this was a wise coach. And, and I, I believe I was in, in that role just to learn this lesson. And I remember him teaching defense to, our, to, to the guards, the short guys that, 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 that set, the t- set the plays up. And he said, here's what's happening. He says, you're defending, and the, guard, the guy's coming down the, the, the court with the basketball. I go, be careful I don't slide up here. He says, and what happens is he's bouncing, and you're trying to defend. And he said, he'll fake with his head here, or he'll fake with the ball here. He can take a step here, and he can go here. He said, and when you're looking at his feet, the first step is where you go. And then he's off over here, and you're standing there. What happened to him? He said, the way you defend against that is you don't look at his hands. You don't look at his eyes. You don't look at his feet. Because he can pretend to go one way with them and go somewhere else. There's only one part of him he can't fake with. And that's his belly. Because that's the center of gravity. He can't send the center of gravity here and the rest of his body over there. So what you watch is not his head, not his eyes. You watch his belly because that's where he's going to go. And that's what your will is like. We can be in church and get all emotional and we can say, God, I'm going to go over here and do this and want to. But my body is still sick in here. My will is not ready to go yet. We can wish to do all kinds of things. We can want to do all kinds of things. But wishing to do it and wanting to do it and be very sincere won't do it until we will to do it. Your will is the part of you that decides what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And then the third part of your soul, because what we're going to learn next time is your will is what everybody's after. It's what the salesmen are after. It's what the devil's after. It's what God's after. Because your will is what determines what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And their avenue at you is through your mind and through your emotions. So we've talked about your emotions, we've talked about your will, and now your mind is the part we're going to study in this course. Because your mind is a major influence on what your will is going to do and what your will is not going to do. We've talked about this before, and if you are a car salesman, forgive me, I'm not picking on you, it's just a very clear example, but it's not just any car salesman, it's any kind of sales job. You want to, you want to motivate, what, what the salesman's after, and which is, I understand, they're after what? The will. Because it's the will that signs, your will that signs the contract and says, I'm going to pay the money. And I'm, I'm like that. I've gotten to the point sometimes in buying something where I'll get right ready to do it, but my will's not in it yet. So although I'm talking to them, I'm looking at it, looking at the price, I know inside of here yet, I'm not going to do it yet. So that's when I say, well, I'm going to go home and think about it. 
That's why they don't want you to go home and think about it because you haven't decided to do it yet. They don't want you to leave that showroom. They don't want you to leave that sales, sales office. They don't want you to leave, the, 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 they don't want to leave your house until you've made up your, we call it made up your mind. But what it is is you've exercised your will. And I'm sure many of you have dealt with witnessing to somebody. And it's like Felix in the, in the book of Acts says, Paul, I'm almost persuaded. You know, I can see it. I, I want that. But you can tell their will's not there yet. People going through the process of recovery from drugs or some kind of addiction will very often want to do all kinds of things. They'll put themselves in rehab places. They'll do all kinds of things. But what they're, and I've, I've counseled people, but they're still, they're in charge of their recovery. Because recovery does not begin until they surrender their will to somebody else. To God, ultimately. I can't do this. I'm out of control. I, my will has put me where I am. Therefore, I've got to surrender my will to the authority of somebody else's will. That's when help begins. That's not just with addiction. That's with any kind of counseling. Because I've had people you know, come and counsel with me and say, well, Pastor, I've been fasting and God show me exactly what I've got to do. And they go off and do it and they're not ready yet. Because they've just come to bounce off of me to confirm what they think God's already told them. So they're still in charge. So it's the will. the will. The will is the key to controlling you, spirit and your body. Because your soul is the part of you that exercises the authority in either direction. And the part of you that does that is your will. But your mind and your emotions are what influence your will. I'll end with this. I remember Lafayette Scales saying years ago, he says, God... God can't make you do anything. That would be to force your will. But boy, he can bring pressure on it. That's your emotions and your mind. God can work on your will and Satan wants to work on your will because they both know that without that will, you won't exercise, they can't express themselves through you. And we'll pick up here next time. Father, we thank you tonight for giving us understanding. Your word says, Father, that with understanding, to get understanding. And Father, we pray, Lord, as we study this subject of the mind, not just how it works physiologically, but how you've designed it and what the role is and how we can control it. We're asking you to give us understanding of ourself. Father, turn the light on in us and this week ahead. We might find ourselves in situations, Father, that some of what we hear right now comes back to us and the Spirit of God just kind of taps us on the inside and says, see, that's, where that's, that's why that's happening in your life. That's why you're doing this. That's what the issue is. Holy Spirit, you're ultimately the counselor. You're ultimately the teacher. You're ultimately the one that gives us understanding. So we ask you to take what we've heard tonight and to sow it down deep in our hearts that we may begin to have an understanding of how you've made us so that we can cooperate with you, Lord, so that you can prove through us what is your good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. And for that, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.